Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast, a ministry supported by Harvest Partners. I'm Greg Laurie, encouraging you. If you want to find out more about Harvest Ministries and learn more about how to become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org. Let's grab our Bibles. We're in Acts chapter 17. And the title of my message is How to Reach Our Culture with the Gospel. Why don't we start with prayer? Father, we know that you've called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But we will honestly admit we don't always do that as much as we should. Lord, help us to fulfill this great commission. Give us a passion and a concern for those that don't know you. And speak to us as we look at a man who did this so well. Bless this time of Bible study, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So, I heard this story of a meeting that was being held and a preacher was asked to come and say a few words. A challenging thing for a preacher, I might add. So the preacher got up, he had like five minutes, he, he, filled, he went to his five minutes immediately, now he's at eight minutes, nine minutes, the moderator clears his throat, kind of hinting to the preacher, okay, let's, let's wrap it up. Now it's 12 minutes, the preacher is still going, the moderator clears his throat again, the preacher continues to drone on, so the moderator taps his gavel down, trying to get the preacher's attention. The preacher won't stop. It's 20 minutes. Now the moderator takes the gavel, pounds it really hard. Still, the preacher is speaking. In complete frustration, the moderator takes his gavel and throws it at the preacher, barely misses him, and hits an elderly man who was sitting in the front row who had fallen asleep. The old guy woke up, saw the preacher was still speaking, and said to the moderator, hit me again, I can still hear him. Ha! That's a Billy Graham joke, by the way, that I've heard him uh, use many times. But I think there's something about the way some people articulate their faith that remind us a little bit of that preacher, that something that grates on the person listening. They go too long. They, they speak too loudly. There's something about it that bothers people. Years ago, uh, we used to go to this restaurant for breakfast with our youngest son, Jonathan, who was very little, still in a high chair. And uh, there was one waitress that just loved Jonathan, loved to shower him with affection, sometimes kissing him on the cheek. And one time we were in this restaurant, we noticed she's sort of hovering around him and, he, and he's muttering something under his breath. He's saying, she continues, oh, Jonathan, you're so cute. He keeps saying, finally she leaves. I said, Jonathan, what are you saying to that lady? He says, I'm saying, go bye-bye. That's how some people feel when you come to them and you talk to them about Jesus. We don't want to be the person like that. We don't want to be the person that someone says, hit me again, I can still hear him. Now, we all know that as Christians we've been called to preach the gospel. But if we're honest, we'll admit we don't do it as often as we should. So I want to look now at the first century because there are some first century principles that are very relevant to help us reach people in the 21st century. You might say this was the secret sauce of the early church. They knew how to do what they did very well. They turn their world upside down as we have pointed out many times. We want to learn how to pray like they prayed, to love 
like they loved and share the gospel, like they shared the gospel. So we're gonna take a master class from one of the best communicators around, a master communicator, the Apostle Paul. Let's tear a page out of his playbook. And by the way, the principles I'm gonna share with you, and there's gonna be six principles I'll share on how to better communicate your faith. These six principles I've been using for over 50 years of preaching, and I've seen that they work because they're biblical. So let's see what we can learn together. Acts 17 is basically the story of the Apostle Paul bringing the gospel to the city of Athens. Normally, we find Paul preaching in synagogues or out in the open air, uh, to Jewish people, but in this case, he is not speaking to Jewish people, he's speaking to Gentiles, and he's telling them about Jesus. In this time, uh, in particular, Athens was still in its glory, but fading a bit, but it had been up to this point the intellectual capital of the world. Uh, this is the base of the great philosophers like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, uh, men that brought philosophies that are still in many ways influencing people to this very day. So Paul's there in Athens and he does what any tourist would do. He went sightseeing. By the way, I've been to Athens, Greece. I preached on this very spot where Paul is preaching. Uh, you can still see the Parthenon and, and the ruins of ancient Greece. So he's looking around, he's taking things in, and one thing that was unique to Athens was how many idols there were. Altars erected to various gods. One commentator said there were over 30,000 altars in Athens erected to the various deities. And they had all kinds of gods that they worshiped. First of all, there was Zeus, effectively the king of the Grecian gods. Then there was Athena, the goddess of heroic behavior. There was Epaphrodite, the goddess of love and lust. There was Morpheus, the god of dreams. There was Poseidon, the god of sinking ships. No, that's not true. That, there was a movie about the sinking of the Poseidon. Actually, Poseidon was the god of the sea and storms and earthquakes. And finally, there was the goddess Nike, which of course is the goddess of shoes. Actually, the goddess Nike was the goddess of speed. But here's all these gods at these people worship. And Paul's kind of taking it all in. And his heart is getting really stirred. And now he delivers his message. So read with me now from Acts 17. I'm reading, by the way, from the New Living Translation. And I'm starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all that happened to be there. And he had a debate with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. You might underline the word Epicurean and Stoic. I'll come back to that in a few moments. Then he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, and they said, this babbler has picked up some strange ideas. Others said, he's pushing some foreign religion. Then they took him to the Council of Philosophers, that's also known as the Areopagus. Come and tell us more about this new religion, they said. You're saying some rather startling things, and we want to know what it's all about. 
Here's a very insightful statement. Verse 21, it should be explained that the Athenians and the foreigners there spent all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious. For I was walking among your many altars, and one of them had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. You've been worshiping him without knowing who he is. Now I wish to tell you about him. I'll stop there. Okay, so we're living in a unique time in American history. I would say that the days of cultural Christianity are over. And by that I mean there was a time in America when most Americans would say they were Christian even if they were not. Far more people would go to church even if they didn't really want to, they would still go. That's over with. Cultural Christianity is effectively dead. We are living in an increasingly secular society with little to no knowledge of scripture. I, as I mentioned, I've been preaching for 50 years and the biblical illiteracy among people today is mind-blowing. People know very little about the Bible. I mean, there was a time when at least the Bible was taught as literature in our schools. But uh, today, oh my, they, you won't find any classes teaching the Bible in any way. And so, so many people are completely ignorant about God and about Scripture. So I bring this up to point out that our audience today, or America today, or the culture today, would be very similar to the crowd that was gathered at this place called Mars Hill. They knew their Greek philosophers, but they knew nothing about this, as they put it, new religion that Paul was proclaiming. Uh, so there were two primary groups that Paul was addressing here in Athens. They were the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans and the Stoics, and people still, in effect, believe in these philosophies today, though they would not necessarily call them that. Let's start with the Epicureans. The Epicurean philosophy was the pursuit of pleasure, basically hedonism on steroids. The Epicureans did not believe that there was any order to the universe. There was no God, there was no absolutes, no judgment. So their philosophy was, hey man, live for the moment. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Our modern equivalent of the Epicureans might be the playboy philosophy, which is the pursuit of hedonism. Uh, just kind of abandon all absolutes, pursue whatever pleasure you want. And people still live this way today. And here's the problem. When you live a life pursuing pleasure, you're gonna be a very empty person. Pursuing pleasure is one of the least pleasurable things a person can do. Joy Davidman, who was the wife of C.S. Lewis, made this insightful statement, and I quote, living for your own pleasure is the least pleasurable thing a man can do. You know, the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season, but then death will come. It's sort of like going to an amusement park and you're waiting in line, and, uh, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting 
off into the hot sun. You get on the ride, it's here shaking upside down, all the fun, and then you're off the ride. Now go get into another line. That's sort of like the person who pursues pleasure. They live for the weekend. They live for the buzz. They live for the moment. They have the experience. Then they get back in line and effectively waste their life. You don't want to live this way because the Bible says she that lives her pleasure is dead while she is living. Listen to this. Living a life for pleasure is in reality a pleasure-free life. Okay, so in contrast to the Epicureans, we have the Stoics. They were more disciplined, more intellectual. They believed that God was in all things, you know, he was in nature and, and he was in people and he was in everything basically. Sort of a, a new age belief uh, before we called it new age. Uh, billionaire Elon Musk was asked the question, do you believe in God? And his response was, quote, as Einstein would say, I believe, the God, I believe in the God of Spinoza. And uh, so Spinoza's God, so-called, uh, was a God who reveals himself in the orderly harmony of what exists, but he's not a God, according to Spinoza, who concerns himself with the fates and actions of human beings. That very, that's very close to the Stoics. It's just sort of disengaged God, doesn't really uh, bother himself with what we're going through. Of course, that is so unlike the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible who knows all things, the God of the Bible who loves humanity, the God of the Bible who longs for a relationship with him, but the God of Spinoza or the Stoic view of life was completely different. So here now is Paul addressing people who are effectively party animals and another group who are sort of like new agers and intellectuals and he's gonna now bring the gospel to them. So question, how do you reach a culture like that? Answer, with the message of Jesus Christ. How do you reach a culture like ours with cutting edge technology? Same answer, with the message of the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That word that Paul uses there for power, it is the power of God, comes from the Greek word dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite from. Paul is saying there's explosive power in the message of the gospel. So let's look now at six principles on how to bring the gospel to our culture. Principle number one, effective communication of the gospel begins with a burden. It begins with a burden. Let me put it another way. You have to care because caring will result in sharing, okay? So look at verse 16 of Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. This word that is used here for distressed uh, can be translated seizure, spasm, or outburst. He was upset. You know, sometimes if someone gets irritated or, or overly upset, someone will say, hey, don't have a seizure, man. <laughs> Paul was having a spiritual seizure, if you will, uh, not physically, but there was something deeply stirred inside of him. He was grieved to see the absolute absence of the living God. It was as though the people of Athens had an ABC religion. 
ABC, anything but Christ. And we have the same in our culture today. Oh, people will be in to all kinds of philosophies, sometimes sort of interweaving them and coming up with a, a do-it-yourself religion. But uh, it's anything but Christ. You bring the message of Jesus to them and they don't even want to hear it. So this is what Paul was dealing with. And as we look at our culture, I mean, when I read the newspaper or I read a news feed, there are so many distressing, heartbreaking things happening in our world today. The conflict over in Ukraine where innocent people are losing their lives. But then you come to our own nation and the horrible things that happen in homes and the murders on the streets and the things that happen to young children and it breaks your heart. And you see all these crazy things that we give our attention to, all of these celebrities that live, in my view, such empty lives and people idolize them and put them on pedestals. They're modern day idols. And this really bothered Paul to see this. But I wanna remind you about something. Sinners are not the enemy, sin is. Uh, people are not the enemy, Satan is. Because sometimes we get mad at the sinner. Why does this sinner say this? Why does this rock star do that? Why does this TV talk show host uh, say this other thing? Oh, they're so bad, I can't stand them. Why is this politician such a horrible person and, and we get out there on social media and insult them? They're not the enemy. The enemy is the devil. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 2.26 says, Pray that non-believers come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You see, they're caught alive by the devil. They're, it's a, they're a spiritual POW, a prisoner of war. And, and then it's interesting because the phrase that Paul uses there that they're caught alive uh, is the idea of they're, they're under bondage. They, they can't free themselves. And the only other time this particular phrase is used is when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men or literally you'll catch men alive. So here's our choice. Either the devil's gonna have them or Christ is gonna get them. And that's where we come in with our message of the gospel. Don't be mad at sinners. Be mad at sin. The enemy is the devil. So Paul wasn't happy with this and he wanted to reach these people. And I think we need to come out of our bubbles and out of our comfort zone and enter the real world with the message of Jesus Christ. The problem is we're sometimes as believers very disconnected from culture. Oh, I don't wanna watch any television. I don't wanna go to any movie. I don't wanna listen to any music because it's all evil. Well, there may be some truth in that, but how am I gonna reach a culture I know nothing about? because my objective is to bridge the gap. Paul the apostle went into their world. He checked out their views and philosophies and their false ideas and understood them and now he can bring an appropriate message to the people that was desperately needed. You know, we can be in our Christian subculture and we listen to Christian radio and then we get home and watch Christian television and we sleep on Christian pillows and we have Christian slippers and things like that. And sometimes I've seen some Christians find themselves more passionate about politics than they are about Jesus. 
And so when we come walking down the road, people say, hit me again, I can still hear them. Don't be that person. Be a friend of sinners. Jesus was called that, not as a compliment, I might add. Sinners knew they could approach Jesus. Sinners knew that Jesus cared about them. The same should be said of every follower of Jesus. But listen, whatever you do, it needs to start with a burden from God. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you personally shared the gospel with someone? Were you went out of your way to engage in what I would call an evangelistic conversation? Let it start there with your heart being moved by people that don't know the Lord. Paul's spirit was stirred. Point number two, to reach our culture, we must be culturally relevant. Another way to put it is read the room. <laughs> Adapt yourself to the person you're speaking to. Paul says, I become all things to all men. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the non-Jew or the Gentile, I become like a Gentile, but not doing the things that the Gentiles do. I become all things to all men, writes Paul, and I might reach them for Christ. So Paul begins by quoting a secular philosopher. Did you notice that? He doesn't start with the Bible. He starts by quoting one of their own philosophers. And I think one of the problems that Christians face is we try to bring the gospel to people, but we don't even speak in their language. We speak in a cryptic Christianese dialect that only Christians understand. Let me illustrate. You go up to a non-believer and say, hey, you heathen, let me talk to you for a second. Uh, question, are you washed in the blood? Are you sanctified? Are you justified? And are you part of the body? Now that may sound good to us. We know what all those terms mean. But do you realize how bizarre that sounds when you walk up to someone and ask them if they're washed in blood and if they're part of a body? I mean, you have to define your terms. I'm not suggesting we not use biblical terms, but please do not assume your listener understands them. As I said earlier, we become an increasingly secular culture. People don't know what these words mean anymore. So we have to meet them where they are. Point number three, Paul's message arrested the interest of his listener. Paul's message arrested the interest of his listener. It's called chumming. You know when you go to fish and maybe no fish are biting, so you chum the waters, you put a little uh, fish into the water and things to get the fish coming your way. So chumming is finding a way to start a conversation that would arouse the interest of your listener. Jesus did this perfectly. Remember him with the woman at the well? This is a woman that's been ostracized by her own community. She's been married and divorced five times and she's living with some dude. And so she comes to the well to draw water in the heat of the day because she went when everybody else was done. No one wanted to hang out with her. And there sitting at the well was Jesus. What does he say to her? Hey, you, a moral woman living in sin. No, no, he starts by saying, could I have a drink of water? She says, why would you, a Jew, ask for a drink of water from me, a Samaritan? Don't you know that Jews have no uh, involvement with Samaritans? And Jesus said, if you knew who it was, who was speaking to, you would ask him and he would give you living water, water that is alive. And on the conversation went, 
He started by effectively chumming the water, if you will. He started with arresting her attention. Paul does the same. Look at verse 22 of Acts 17. Standing before the council, he addressed them as as follows. Men of Athens, I perceive that you're very religious. That's very interesting. He could have said, you're pagans, which would have been true. You're idol worshipers, also true. You're very religious. If we were to say this today, we might say, men of Athens, or how about people of America, I can see you're really into spirituality. Men of Athens, I perceive you're very religious, for I was walking along and I saw your many altars and one of them had this inscription on it to an unknown God. You've been worshiping him without knowing who he is. I want to talk to you about him. Brilliant beginning. It's uh, diplomatic. It's building the bridge instead of burning the bridge. This is something I often do in our crusades. Uh, I'll often start with humor or I might start with a story or a quote from someone that people know and I'll sort of find common ground with them and then I bring the message of the gospel. I have a new book uh, coming out soon and the title of it is Lennon, Dylan, Alice and Jesus. And basically it's a spiritual journey of rock stars. Uh, My co-author, Marshall Terrell, and I unearthed some really interesting information about some rock icons that I don't think a lot of people know about. Uh, Exploring the story of Lennon himself, who of course famously said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. But there was a change in John Lennon later in his life and even a profession of faith. Granted, it didn't last very long, but there's some things there you didn't know probably about him. Bob Dylan, people have said, oh, he became a Christian and then renounced it. Actually, as you'll see when you read this book or if you read this book, Dylan has never renounced it. I would call him a work in progress. And we have the story of Alice Cooper who came to Christ years ago and has been walking with the Lord and and other people in the rock world. Some are in process, some are growing, some have rejected this outright. But why did I write a book like this? Because these are people that are known by people. These are icons. These, for some, are the idols of our day. So I'm using this as a bridge to communicate with an audience. And ultimately, this book says this. No one is beyond the reach of God. So you may have a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or someone you know that you cannot imagine ever becoming a Christian. And as you'll see, if you read this book, God's reached some pretty unexpected people in unexpected ways. Again, no one is beyond the reach of God. We've done movies like Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, another film we did called A Rush of Hope, one we're working on now called Fame. All of them take cultural situations, people that others know, and use it as a bridge to tell our world Jesus is the answer. And we're now going to be filming the feature film Jesus Revolution. When it's done and it's released next year, it will be the biggest thing Harvest has ever been a part of. It will have a global reach and the message of the Jesus Revolution movie is God did this once and he can do it again. And we're hoping this movie will inspire another generation to pray for their own revival because stories of revival spark revival. 
The fame of revival sparks the flame of revival. We're praying this will not just be a movie, but something that will inspire young people today to say, oh Lord, we need another Jesus movement. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus still wants to move today? I do. Do you? And then if the answer is yes, then understand. God says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So Paul built a bridge to his listeners. And having built that bridge and made that connection, he then brings them the message of the gospel. Here's what happens sometimes. People say, well, I don't really believe in preaching. The word preaching is negative. Don't preach to me, man. Hey, I don't need a sermon. Okay, so, but we are called to preach. Uh, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But understand, preaching does not mean yelling, right? You can preach quietly. You can say it conversationally. Preaching is effectively communication. It's just communicating truth to a person in the right way. And so we have to understand that God has called us to reach people in this way. Uh, the Bible says it's to the foolishness of preaching or literally the preached thing that people will believe. What is the preached thing? It's the message of the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you see. That's our primary message that we need to communicate. But some will say, well, you know, I don't really like to preach to people. I like to be a good example. Okay, cool, I'm, I'm good with that. It's better than being a bad example. <laughs> but having said that, Jesus did not say, go into all the world and be a good example. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So you wanna be a good example, but don't create a false dichotomy of saying that's better than preaching. No, the idea is be a good example as a follower of Christ, which will then earn you the right to share the gospel. As we saw in our last message, as Paul and Silas gave glory to God in the middle of a prison cell, it opened up the heart of the jailer who ultimately said to them, what must I do to be saved? Point number four, we must proclaim a biblical message. We must proclaim a biblical message. Listen, we gotta make the cultural connection. We gotta read the room. We have to speak in a language they understand. But having established all that, we gotta bring them the message of the Bible. <laughs> the Bible. This is where the authority is. This is where the power is. God says in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I please. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 3, 15, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. Now that's the Bible. So this is the book we want to bring into the conversation. Coming over to the church for a moment. I read an interesting article in Christianity Today that pointed out people in church want to hear messages from the Bible. Imagine that. This article said, quote, people who show up on Sundays are looking for the same thing. They want preaching centered on the Bible. The article concludes sermons that teach about scripture are the number one reason Americans go to church. 
I read recently that people were polled and what they thought and they were asked what they thought about the length of sermons and more people said we want longer sermons. Imagine that, huh? So the church sometimes are trying to be so cool and so culturally relevant and entertaining and have all of our topical messages on every topic under the sun. Here's what our people are saying. Teach us the Bible. By all means address the cultural issues of the day. By all means answer the questions people are actually asking. But by all means answer them with the word of God. Point number five. Our message must focus on Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Paul closes the deal here in verse 31 of Acts 17. He says he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man he has ordained and he's given assurance of all of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus. That is our answer to the culture. Not morality per se. Not politics or a political solution. Not some new philosophy. It's Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. And that's what Paul did. And that's what Paul said. One last point. After preaching this message, Paul trusted God for the results. He trusted God for the results. Okay, so on the day of Pentecost, after Peter preached, 3,000 people believed, right? That's a lot of people. On the Mars Hill at the Areopagus, the apostle Paul preaches and only a handful respond. Look, my job is not to convert people. That's God's job. Jesus said, no man comes unless the Father draws him. So ultimately this is the work of God. But sometimes you'll have a lot of response. Sometimes you'll have no response. Sometimes you'll share the gospel with someone and they'll respond and ask Jesus to come into their life. And other times they'll laugh in your face and walk away. But you know, Jesus said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord would send more laborers into his harvest. Notice it's his harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not your harvest. It's his harvest. So my job, your job, our job together is to proclaim the gospel and leave the results in the hands of God. Now look at what happened. This is the great apostle Paul preaching. But it wasn't a rousing response. Acts 17, verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we'll hear you again on the matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So now we see the response of the people. Number one, some mocked. They mocked Paul. A better translation would be they laughed in his face or burst out laughing. Are you serious? You actually believe the story about Jesus dying and rising again from the dead? This is absurdity. Are you one of those people? You know, before my conversion, I was quite the mocker. I was in North Carolina some years ago driving along the road and I saw a city called Moxville. I thought I should have been born in Moxville because I was always mocking people and I mocked Christians and I laughed at Christians. But one day I just took the time to hear what they were actually saying. God's Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart and that's the day I believed in Jesus. But the Bible says the preaching of the gospel is 
to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who believe, it's the power of God. So as you're listening to me right now and this is a joke to you, this makes you laugh, that's an indication you're perishing. Not a good thing. It means you're far from God. Don't be a mocker. Some mocked. Others delayed. They said, we'll talk to you about this another time. They, they kicked the can down the road. Not now. That was the situation with my mother who reminds me a bit of the woman at the well. And uh, except my mom was married and divorced seven times so. She had two more marriages on the woman at the well. And whenever I would talk to my mom about Jesus, she would say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. One day I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit when my mom was 70 to go see her and have the conversation she didn't want to have. And I said, Mom, I want to talk to you about your relationship with God. She said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, today we're going to talk about it. And thankfully that conversation resulted and my mom coming to Christ. But some people don't want to talk about it. So some mocked, some delayed, but some believed. They repented, they changed their minds. One is called Dionysius the Areopagite. So he was one of the judges of Athens, an intellectual, a ruler of his day who became a Christian. And there was a woman named Damaris, and she, like many of the Greeks, was disillusioned with their empty gods, and she put her trust in Christ. So this is a, a powerful example of how to reach our culture. Let me sum it up with an acronym. SHARE, S-H-A-R-E. These are the principles Paul applied to reach his culture. These are the same principles that we can apply to reach our culture. SHARE, S stands for be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You never know when the Lord's gonna prompt you to share the gospel with someone. That's why the Bible says, be instant in season and out of season, or as another translation puts it, be on duty at all times. Just, hey Lord, I'm open. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. H, honor and respect others. Don't come off as holier than thou when you speak to people. Don't be a know-it-all. Uh, be humble and be approachable. Be sensitive to them, honor and respect others. A, arouse the interest of your listener. Of course, Paul did this. Jesus did this. You can do this. Say something to get them interested. So many things we could talk about today. Uh, R, reveal sin. So when you have that conversation, you need to point out to the person that they're a sinner who needs a savior. Because you could very easily talk about Jesus as though he were the greatest additive to one's life. Oh, Jesus came into my life and I'm so much happier. My marriage is better and I have more spring on my step. My goodness, my teeth are even a little bit whiter. No, they aren't. But here's the thing. Jesus is not an additive. He doesn't just help you live a better life. He saves you from your sin. So you have to tell a person, the Bible says you've sinned. You're separated from God by your sin and Christ died for your sin. And then finally, E, explain the way of salvation. Break it down for them. Tell them how to come to Jesus. Don't just tell them they should come to Jesus. Show them how. Paul did this. We can do this. This is where it breaks down for a lot of people. Sometimes preachers in pulpits, 
sometimes just Christians sharing their faith each and every day. Close the deal. Pop the question. What's the question? Would you like to accept Jesus Christ into your life right now? So share. Be sensitive. H, honor and respect others. A, arouse the interest of your listener. R, reveal sin. E, explain the way of salvation. So let me close with that. I want to explain the way of salvation to you right now. How can a person know their sin is forgiven? How can a person be certain that they'll go to heaven when they die? Here's the answer. You need to admit you're a sinner. You've broken God's commandments. You've fallen short of God's standards. You need to recognize Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sin. It wasn't nails that held him to that cross 2,000 years ago. It was love for you. Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You need to believe in Jesus. You say, but how do you do that? You put your faith in him. You ask him to come into your life. You see, being a Christian isn't just reading the Bible and going to church or listening to Bible studies and praying. Those are all great things. But being a Christian simplified is having a relationship with Jesus who lives inside of you. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock and if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Would you like to open the door of your life right now and ask Jesus Christ to come in? Would you like to know you'll go to heaven when you die? Would you like to fill that big hole in your heart? It can happen for you right here, right now. So I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. And I would ask if you want Christ to come into your life to pray this prayer with me. And it's a prayer where you're asking Jesus to come into your heart and life. Just pray this prayer. You can even pray it out loud after me right now. Pray these words, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. I turn from my sin now and I choose to follow you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.